Yeah, it's reminding me of a metaphor that we used to use in mediation in the residence halls. It's called shelving, that it, you have this little irritation, well, I'll put that on the shelf. And then you do that again and again and again, and the shelf gets very full and heavy, and it falls down. You're listening to CWC Talks, a podcast from the University of Florida Counseling and Wellness Center. In each episode, we discuss mental health topics related to the experience of being a student and share the struggles and joys of taking care of your mental health while in college. Please note, CWC Talks is not a substitute for counseling and may be sensitive for people who have experienced trauma. All guests' views are their own and do not speak for the CWC, the University of Florida, or the mental health profession as a whole. Hi, everybody. Today we are talking about roommates and relationships with your roommates. We're going to be speaking with Stephanie Yon and Sage Schaefer, and we're so glad to have you here on the show. Uh, maybe you can introduce yourselves a little bit to the audience. Um, Sage, we'll start with you. Okay. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Sage Schaefer. I'm a third-year student at UF studying psychology, and I am an AWARE ambassador with the Counseling and Wellness Center. And I'm talking here today because as a junior, I've had a couple years of experience uh, living with roommates and navigating relationships with them. Glad to have you, Sage. (laughs) I'm glad to be here. Hi, everybody. I'm Dr. Stephanie Yan. I'm here representing housing as the CWC's housing embedded counselor. And that's a role I've been in for a few years now. And uh, through it, I get to work exclusively with housing residents who are students. And um, yeah, I also have a background working in residence life. And so that's sort of how I came to be here um, in this particular specialized role. So I've been a resident assistant, of course, a resident first, um, and have kind of moved up in the ranks and also kind of slid on over to the crisis intervention consultation role that exists at University of Florida, which is a pretty unique role where graduate student counselors are able to respond to after-hours crises. And so I did that as well along the way. Awesome. I'm excited to have all of your different expertise and experience here. And I I think both of you will have a lot to share on this topic. Thanks for having us. So Stephanie, um, can you tell us like, when you're seeing students, when they come to you and they're having a problem with a roommate, what are some typical roommate situations, roommate issues that uh, students come to you with? I think it depends on the time of the year. So definitely around this time of year, we're recording at the beginning of a fall semester, the beginning of summer or midsummer when new students arrive. Also, this happens. I'll see students who have a lot of loneliness concerns Um, And people often feel that they're alone in having such loneliness, and it can be very deep loneliness that they're coming in with. And sometimes it has to do with not connecting well with their roommate, and maybe not connecting with others on their floor or in the residential area too. Um, And so leaving home, coming here, and discovering that the roommate is not the best friend as advertised in the movies and on TV shows, um, that can be a huge disappointment for people. Um, and those relationships, like any, just take time. And so we, we respect those feelings. You know, when we're doing therapy, we kind of process and acknowledge that. But then we also think about what can be done there. So that's a common one. As we move along, the roommate conflicts start to emerge. So the connections get made, but sometimes they're misconnections and uh, challenges will start to come through. 
and the stressors start to build as a semester goes along. And so then we start getting more things like complaints about roommates, um, feeling misunderstood or excluded or frustrated about different living habits. Um, and so those are also pretty common with regard to roommates. And then on the more rare side, but not unseen are even situations where roommate relationships become harmful. And so I think we also had planned to talk about that at some point in our conversation today, where there can be an element of abuse in some roommate situations. Um, and that that can be a bit complicated and therapy is definitely appropriate for helping somebody to deal with those things and, and how you can navigate that with respect to your background and your needs and um, the complexities of those things. Yeah. Like you mentioned, I know some of the conflicts or some of the um, um, struggles with having roommates is having different sets of expectations of like what you expect the other person to be for you and kind of like how you expect to live together, to communicate together. Um, Sage, I was wondering if you could like speak to any experiences you've had in um, setting those expectations or you know when it's been a struggle to or um especially around like you know how you're gonna live together house rules um how you handle chores things like that yeah I can definitely relate to seeing uh roommate relationships portrayed in media and thinking that's what it's going to be like we're going to have movie nights and go grocery shopping together and all of that. And it can be very disappointing when you start living with them for long enough and you realize, I haven't talked to them in a while. We haven't done these things that I was anticipating to be doing. So I've found in my experience, uh, it can be difficult, but going into it with as open of a mind as you can, um, you may get lucky. You may have a very strong bond with them where you do get to do those things, but preparing for the reality that it may not be like that. And that's where setting up those expectations in the beginning by talking to them can be very important. Um, even beyond just the, my roommate, want, I want them to be my best friend sort of situation, but even just uh, setting up a respectful sort of environment with your roommate. It's easy to think, especially if you're going to live with a friend that you've known, you think, because they're your friend, you already know each other. I don't have to talk about these things, but I think that is almost more important because it's very easy to fall into this trap of, well, they won't mind. They're my friend, but uh, being friends with someone outside of the house is very different than living with them. I lived with a very close friend and there were some things that we just had to talk about. Even, uh, are you okay with me having people over this late? Is it okay if I leave the dishes in the sink for a day because I'm going to class? Uh, the little things, it's better to talk about them than to just leave them in the air, especially if it becomes a problem later. It's a lot harder to backtrack in my experience. Right, because those little things, they can build up over time mm -hmm. and then that will build resentment and that could, that could forge a, a separation in your friendship. And it can be a lot harder to recover from it because it might be weird to have to say, are you okay with this little thing? But it's it's better to have just a slightly uncomfortable conversation than you start to realize I'm having 
feelings I don't want to have towards this person, especially mm-hmm. if it was a friend you cared about, it it's, affects the friendship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's reminding me of a metaphor that we used to use in mediation in the residence halls. It's called shelving that it, you have this little irritation. Well, I'll put that on the shelf. And then you do that again and again and again, and the shelf gets very full and heavy and it falls down. And so you're mm-hmm. talking about getting comfortable with discomfort as a matter of routine so that it doesn't build up and turn into this big blowout where the relationship has such resentment and hard feelings to get through instead of just these somewhat awkward little courtesies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think things like that can be harder, especially if you're living in a dorm because you have so many people around you and you might be setting expectations up based on the roommate relationships you see. I remember I lived in Hume freshman year and there was a whole group of people on my floor who all became really close friends. And I remember feeling like, well, I'm not that close to my roommate. I'm not that close to all of them. Am I doing something wrong here? Um, Am I having the right conversations? Is something wrong with me? And it's every relationship with a roommate is going to be different. And that's why those conversations are so important because what works for you and your roommate may not work for the couple across the floor or friends you have living off campus, anything like that. And that kind of speaks to what Stephanie was saying earlier about that, that loneliness piece Mm -hmm. that can happen at the beginning of a semester. And I can imagine it would be pretty scary to feel like you don't have any connection with Mm -hmm. anybody, even the people that you're living with. Especially when you're, um, I think it's also just living in a dorm is a lot trickier because you're in such a small confined space with someone and there's so much that's really not in your control and you, you don't have your own, really, you don't have your own space to kind of retreat to or go to. Um, and that can, if you, if you don't get along with your roommate or you're, you don't have a good connection with them, that it can just be a really tough situation to live in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're sort of on top of each other. And so any mm-hmm. irritations feel magnified because you're constantly experiencing mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And, and what that mm-hmm. leads to for some people is withdraw. Some people won't even go to their room as a matter of coping. Um, but I guess I, I hope today that we'll talk about some strategies that for folks who think that, well, I'd rather just not even deal with this. I don't want to be around my roommate because I have these icky feelings. Or I think they don't like me. Mm-hmm. Um, or we have had this conflict outright. Um, I, I hope that maybe some of the things we talk about today can help people to reclaim your right to be in your room in a way that is collaborative and mutually respectful Mm -hmm. so that maybe that relationship can begin to be a place for growth and some healing between the two of you, even if it doesn't turn into that super fun roommate movie kind of situation. Mm -hmm. So that kind of reminds me, I'm, I'm glad that you're bringing that up, Stephanie, about how to have those conversations and, and figure out how to make your room that safe place to go to again. Um, Cause I think a lot of people um, may be growing up in conflict avoidant homes. And so it's like, okay, let's, I, I don't really want to talk about it. I don't really know how to talk about it. I don't know how to bring this up. So maybe we can start there. Like, how do you bring this up? And I know Sage mentioned, you know, being able to talk to a friend, you know, that you were living with. Um, is it okay if I leave my dishes in the sink and things like that? But how do you do that with a perfect stranger? 
I think that definitely is a much harder thing to deal with um, because I've lived with people I didn't know besides just my friend that I knew. And it was a lot easier to talk to my friend because we already knew how to communicate. But I definitely did fall into that trap of, oh, it's bothering me. I don't know how to say anything. I'm just going to ignore it until it just got so bad that I was avoiding my roommate because I just didn't want to, I didn't know how to say it. I was afraid I was going to come across as being aggressive because I'm upset about something, especially since I had ignored it. Um, So I would really be curious to hear solutions because I think that's something I may have never exactly learned. Um, I've tried communicating. I think I also was in a conflict avoidant household. So I'm used to communicating over text a lot. And I think that is a common theme I have seen with uh, friends of mine or students my age, where we're so used to communicating on our phones that you think, oh, I'll just send them a text. I don't want to say it to their face. And I've run into problems with that, where you have people who really want you to communicate to their face, but it can be very challenging because of body language, tone, and those things are lost over text as well. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned, Olivia, um, if there's a conflict avoidance sort of strategy, but I'm thinking too, there can be challenges with conflict approach strategies too where if somebody's sort of go-to is I'm going to bring this up and I'm going to stand my ground and I, you know, it it can come off as um, potentially aggressive. And sometimes assertive is just a real hard balance to strike because assertiveness can be very functional, but it it can take a lot of practice sort of at stage just talking about to practice those nuances and, and integrate them in real life situations that bring up those emotions for us to stay assertive, but in, in a gentle enough or responsive enough um, or empathic enough way that we're not forgetting the other person in the interaction or so that we are not creating a situation where they're going to be on the defensive or want to push back and, and to create a, a conflict out of uh, confrontation because confrontation is not necessarily conflict, but if it's handled in a way that, that sort of leads to people feeling poorly, it can become that. I think what is very important in those situations is to honor your feelings because it's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be disappointed that things aren't going the way you want. But then when you go to have a conversation with the roommate, try to set some of those feelings aside. It's okay to say to them, you know, I I feel a little frustrated that this is happening but not necessarily taking it out because, you know, if you come at someone with a certain emotion really embedded in your words, that might push them away. And while those feelings are entirely valid, it's still having a compromise, even if it feels like, you know, everything's on me, uh, it's their responsibility, but you're still meeting in the middle, which can be a really hard balance to meet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, something that's making me think of is, taking the time to acknowledge your own emotions before going into the conversation can be helpful. Mm -hmm. So if you can kind of sit down and catalog what types of emotions you're feeling, and I always recommend an emotion vocabulary wheel, which you can just Google that and find that in any web search. Um, You can look at that and identify the names of some emotions that tends to defuse them a bit so that hopefully you can sort of say like, oh, okay, I'm feeling this. Why might I be feeling this? Um, What does this feeling tell me that I'm needing? 
And that's sort of a segue towards something that I also hope we'll talk about today, which is nonviolent communication, because that can really help us to communicate in a way that's mutually respectful, both of you and your roommate. Um, but yeah, if you haven't acknowledged those emotions first, it, they may kind of boil up in the conversation mm-hmm. and that's where things can get rough oftentimes. I think in those conversations, something else that can sometimes happen is if you have been avoiding conflict or, you know, it, you haven't brought things up before, it can often turn into, well, every, every issue you've had together kind of all piled up and well, you did this and you did that and you did that. And um, it can feel like you can get to this place where you, you can't move forward. Um, and kind of one person might feel like just totally overwhelmed with, oh, I, <laughs> I did all these things wrong. Like I, I'm this awful person. Um, and it's not always productive. Yeah, I'm thinking that um, in the brain, the, the way feelings kind of happen in the brain, when you have one event that triggers an emotion, the brain is going to bring up lots of other things that trigger that emotion, especially negative things. Um, and so that can really lend a lot of power to that sort mm-hmm. of uh, avalanche of feelings. Mm-hmm. I remember this is bringing back memories of when I was a freshman in college and I was living in a four bedroom on campus apartment. I don't know how I looked out with that one, but um, I was living with two friends who had gone to, they weren't my friends. They were friends with each other. They had gone to high school together and then two sisters who were sharing a room. Um, So I, and there was a lot of conflict between the four of them. And I always felt like I was in the middle and having to kind of mediate, but then also having feeling like I had to take sides. And it was just a really uncomfortable situation to be in, you know, and in the midst of all of this, I'm still trying to figure out who I am, what I'm comfortable with. um, And I'm having four strong personalities, mind you, people who also knew what it was like to um, grow up in families and, you know, live with other people similar to their age where I hadn't because I'm an only child. So I didn't know what it was like to share a room with somebody or share a home with, you know, uh, with somebody else my age. Um, So it was, it was really challenging, you know, at certain points. Um, And we would have like these family family meetings. I say that in air quotes. Well, I guess we were kind of like a family. We fought a lot. So, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, and, and it would get pretty heated. So I'm thinking, you know, just thinking back after so many years, probably what would have been helpful for all of us was to say, okay, lately I have been feeling frustrated because Every day this week, I have cleaned up the kitchen and I have wiped down the counters. Um, I would appreciate if someone else would share this duty with me, you know, starting off with those I statements and letting people know this is how I'm feeling. And this is what this is. um, This is what I'm proposing as to fixing this problem. Yeah, I go ahead. Oh, no, no, please go ahead, Sage. 
Um, I can certainly relate, especially with conflict amongst other roommates. And then you're caught in the middle because I had two roommates who would fight a lot. And I felt like I was stuck in the middle of it. And it was my responsibility to mediate the two of them. And I think those I statements do help a lot. That's something that I found myself falling back on because then it's just making it about, you know, I'm just expressing how I feel. I'm not trying to say you did anything wrong. I'm just letting you know what is happening in my experience. But I think it can be challenging as well um, when you feel like you're doing everything right in that sense of I'm trying to be as neutral as I can. I'm expressing myself and giving your roommates an option to communicate and then they don't take it. I've had uh, situations where I've expressed, you know, I'm, I'm frustrated about this. Can we all talk this weekend and figure out what we can do? And then I haven't received any sort of like, okay, yes, let's do it. And then nothing happened. And that can be a very frustrating situation that I'm sure some other people have probably experienced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you, you were the roommate who wanted to address some things and you were ready to take that, that scary step and to open up the conversation and you even got a yes. And then somebody was not joining you in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a really tough situation. I think there's a lot of nuance to all of these and there's, you know, of course I don't have any sort of, nor are you asking for advice, but I guess mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about the courage it took for you to try to open that up. Um, and I feel like sometimes in roommate situations, when I talk to students in therapy, it, part of what helps can be to know that you respect what you have done there. Um, I think it's an extra burden if you also don't respect like you know, shelving those feelings or contributing to conflicts by either not, not kind of being part of opening them up to discuss or bringing some sort of anger and aggression that you didn't process for yourself. Like if you can kind of respect like, okay, I dealt with my feelings. I reached out to them. I maintained, you know, civility, you know, if that's sort of the base level that you're at, or, you know, I maintained pleasantness if that's what you feel able to do. Um, that, that sometimes can be helpful for folks but it doesn't always feel good because um, it is a relationship and, and it's more than just you, but your relationship with yourself is part of the picture too. So I don't know if that adds any meaning to, to the conversation here at this point, but that's what came to my mind. I think it does. I think honoring yourself and your feelings is important. Even just accepting I did what I can do. The ball is in their court almost, and it's okay to be, upset about it it's okay to feel a sense of loss sometimes Mm -hmm. if it's like I feel like there's nothing else I can do and honoring that feeling yeah yeah that's tough because I'm thinking about these I statements too and it's it's just making me think about you know the the two-sidedness of it or multiple-sidedness of it all Mm -hmm. and you know we can kind of speak for our own needs and say, you know, this is what's happening. Here's a feeling that's coming up for me about it. Um, the nonviolent communication format that I'm kind of supportive of in, in these situations also would say to, to note what the need is. And the need is not, I need a clean space. The need might be, I need to feel respected by you in, in mm-hmm. not leaving me to be the only one to clean the counters, for example. Um, you know, mm-hmm. so you know, I observed that I cleaned the countertops, I cleaned the crumbs off the counters and the sauce off the counters each day this week. And I'm feeling frustrated and unseen. And I need to feel a bit more respect among the roommates here. 
a way that I would like to see that happen. So this would be the fourth piece is the request, a way that I would like to see that happen that would enrich my life and I hope would be acceptable to others would be for us to take turns wiping down the counters or to, you know, wipe down after we clean or after we cook. Um, so there's that observation, the feeling, the need, and the request. Um, and requests are not demands because the other person can say no, and that's an opportunity for us to hear them. And so that's that multiple, multiple sidedness of it, that not only do we have our needs, but we, you know, in nonviolent communication, hopefully can be open to hearing what others' needs are and really listening for their feelings um, and, and soliciting what they would find enriches their life so that we can all kind of do that together. And that creates mm -hmm. a lovely picture. We can all enrich each other's lives as roommates. So I want to go back over those four pieces again that you mentioned, Stephanie, of nonviolent communication, the observation, feeling, need, and request. Mm -hmm. So the observation, would that necessarily, what, what would that be? Would that be more of, hey, I've noticed that there's a problem here? And is that something that you would observe in yourself? Like, um, I'm not feeling comfortable anymore. Or is that something you would address with your roommate? So the observation, you want it to be as concrete and non-judgmental as possible to kind of fit into this framework. And so kind of the example I use is I noticed that I wiped down the counters this week. And so if it's an always statement, I always wipe down the counters. That's probably not strictly true. And even if it is, it tends to have an element of judgment coded in there. And so that's mm -hmm. not a helpful way to phrase it. Um, so if, if it can be more concrete, such as, you know, I noticed your alarm went off at 6 a.m. for you to go to the gym um, three days this week, I'm feeling, you know, frustrated or I'm feeling, um, you know, sort of unseen or unheard. I had asked you to quiet the alarm or to choose a different ringtone so that that would be easier for me. Um, you know, my need to be seen, my need to be recognized in this space is, is not being met. And so can we talk about how we can manage that situation? This is my request. So the request you also want to be pretty concrete and achievable and not a don't. Um, the, the book that I really like about this is just called Nonviolent Communication, A Language of Life by Marshall Rosenberg. And in it, he quotes a, a song that says, how do I do a don't? Um, so if you tell somebody, don't do this, there are many, many other options for them to still do that may not be quite what you want. And so it is a bit of a mental task for you, but it's so worthwhile if you can identify what it is you do hope the person will do and not, you know, maybe not being overly prescriptive um, or believing or expecting that they'll follow through exactly. But, you know, what, what's your starting point proposition of what you would hope for? And then you work with them to craft that into something that's mutually acceptable. And so you want to be pretty objective on both ends of the whole thing, really. But when you share those feelings, that's what helps it to move into a softer space so that it doesn't come off as you did this. I want you to do this. <laughs> if you can identify, I feel this way about this concrete situation. And then the need really, really adds sort of power and humanity to it. To, to say, like, here's how that really impacts me. Here's how we really are intertwined in our life together as roommates, even if we're not super close. Um, that need can be, can be really important. And some of the categories for needs, I feel like it would be valuable to just name a few examples. And folks can look this mm -hmm. up online too. But the categories that I have a list of here are autonomy. 
So for example, to choose your plans, your goals, your values, celebration. Um, so celebrating your life and any dreams that you're meeting, integrity. So authenticity, creativity, meaning, these are all deep things. Um, interdependence, so a sense of community, a sense of closeness, a sense of uh, reassurance or respect or trust or warmth. These are all legitimate human needs. Play, we have needs that are related to play, so fun and laughter, um, kind of spiritual dimensions, so peace, harmony. And then the last category is physical nurturance. So needing movement, needing rest. That's a big one for roommates. You know, my need mm -hmm. for rest is not being met because your alarm is going off very loud, very early, so many days per week. Can we come up with a plan together? Um, and um, even, even the needs for sort of shelter might include things like, is your space healthy? So dishes and bugs and such. I think uh, those needs can be very important, I think, in that compromise, because without the conversation, you may not know your roommate also has different needs that you may not have been thinking about. Uh, what came to mind when you were reading those is maybe the need for rest over your roommate's need for play. They may have friends over late and it's loud and you're trying to sleep and you think, oh my, they're being so annoying. How could they do this? I need to sleep, but also they want to see their friends. So having the conversation to maybe meet in the middle of, you know, I need to be asleep by this time. Can you turn the volume down when it's past this time? And then they can still have friends over. So they still meet their need, things like that, um, that may never come up. Uh, especially if you're in the face of stress or lack of sleep, you may just be thinking about your own raw emotions and not considering the other side. Yeah. So I think that's interesting. Yeah. I like how you point out, like there are these different needs and <clears throat> we can try to guess at other people's needs and their motivations, but <clears throat> excuse me, they're, they're really deep things too. And so we may start to learn like somebody has a high need for fun, a high need for social connection. And here are ways we see them meeting it, but it really adds something when we talk about it, when we let them tell us about it too. And I think kind of your example, Sage, was showing it's not about ranking needs or prioritizing them and saying, mm -hmm. well, mine is more important. Mine has to come first. True nonviolent communication. The reason it's called that is we don't want to, when we're kind of ascribing to that model, we don't want to cut down anybody. And so we don't want to cut down their needs. That's a form of violence, essentially, is sort of the way it's framed. And so it's not a matter of saying your need is less important than mine. That's that's a got a violent element to it of devaluing the other person and their need but saying, okay, I can speak for my need and I want to hear and appreciate your need and let's work together to find something that mutually enriches our lives. And kind of the goal is that in fact, it's not compromise in the usual sense of I let go of a little and you let go of a little, but we work together to really find something that is mutually satisfying and connective between us. Um, and so it's, this is of course all aspirational and it's a matter of growing into being able to do these things you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of a fan of it, but I'm still learning about it. And I know it's hard for me to implement in my life. Um, Marshall Rosenberg, the person who kind of invented it and is a major international proponent of it, uses it in, in big international conflicts. He admits, you know, that it's hard for him. And so this is all idealistic, but, you know, if we can move in that direction, it could be helpful. I think this is such a 
really helpful framework and like having this direction to move into. And I think there's so many impasses that come with roommate conflicts when like what you want or need in a living environment, like one roommate might not care if the space is messy or might have different thresholds for um, what constitutes like a noisy environment or a messy environment, but kind of focusing on those like really deep human needs and recognizing each other's needs and how we can respect that, I think is, it's just a really helpful way to reframe that conversation to move forward. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I feel like oftentimes when we get into that angry space, and I'll mention just kind of as an aside, anger is often the bodyguard of sadness or fear. <laughs> and so often those are present too. Um, if we get in that angry space, we want to say that that their motivations are just crap, <laughs> that, that everything they want is ridiculous. But if we can kind of soften a little bit um, and recognize the, the sadness or the fear that are there, we can also humanize the roommate and that can open up a little bit of space in our own mind so that that external conversation can also then happen. But it's definitely a process and, you know, talking with others and, and maybe even when you talk with your friends about your roommate, asking them to help you acknowledge your feelings, that might be a vulnerable thing to request in some friendships. But if you have that sort of support space, I encourage it to, you know, try it or do that with yourself in your journal. Um, I really just try to get in touch with that level a little bit more so that it's not as much about blaming and kind of poo-pooing the other person. Um, Sort of, you can get into those gripe fests and those may not be very productive other than the initial venting, but venting is not the place to stay if you want things to get better. I feel like this is so applicable to so many different relationships and things in life too. (laughs) I I just wanted to state that like this is you know we're talking about roommates but I feel like this these are lessons we can try to apply in so many areas of life Mm -hmm. so what happens when you try all the things and you do all the things and you're met with a lot of resistance you're met with um and we kind of touched on this a little bit you're met with abuse What happens when, or first of all, maybe take a step back, what does an abusive roommate relationship look like? Mm, That's a good question. In my experience in therapy, it's often got to do with the emotional aspect of abuse. So it's rarely a physical thing. Um, In fact, I'm not sure that I've ever kind of personally interact with somebody who's been in a situation with physical abuse in the roommate context, but I'm sure that it does happen. Um, but it's usually much more emotional and verbal. So put downs, um, scoffing kind of side eyes, like really laying those things on or having that really be part of the, the air that you breathe when you're in the presence of your roommate or even just the room. Um, and that can really become, that can really become toxic and harmful. Um, and there might be other kind of power dimensions, such as if the situation involves somebody really taking control of the resources in some way. So sort of there's a power and control wheel. Another thing folks can look up if you're interested, but if the roommate is sort of having control over the use of the space or the resources in this space, or is um, I guess in other ways, just sort of really the decision maker and not considering the other person. And it's sort of hard to describe so that those who are 
experiencing conflict, but maybe not at the abusive level, won't. It will be able to recognize that there's a difference of both degree and of type. Um, it can get quite intense. And so I guess those are some of the ways that it can look, but especially those put downs would be typically pretty present in my experience. I worked with a young woman one time who she was um, allergic to cinnamon and she had a roommate who actually sprinkled cinnamon around the kitchen and almost causing her to go into, you know, full-blown asthma attack. So obviously there's a huge spectrum, you know, that's like one of those roommate horror stories, you know, that you hear about. Um, And so when you're in a living space and you've signed a lease and you're kind of stuck or feeling like you're stuck in a situation like that, what are some steps that you can take? Yeah, well, I'm most familiar with the on-campus context. Um, And so I I can start with that and then maybe we can think about the off-campus alternatives. But in the on-campus situation, I I am aware that housing at UF, our particular process is that a student can go to their resident assistant for mediation. Um, That can even be escalated to the resident assistant supervisor or supervisors can go up a couple levels. Then there's the Office for Conduct and Community Standards where they can offer mediation. They have specially trained mediators, peer mediators, I believe. And, um, And so hopefully those things would be able to resolve many situations there's sort of a roommate contract that happens at the beginning of the semester. And that that's the sort of preventive effort, but there, these are the, the reparative efforts. And then if things still aren't getting resolved, then it can kind of move into a situation where the student might consider options for moving out. If there's an element of harm or, or a kind of a more serious, um, especially physical concern, then there are emergency spaces. They're very limited and they're time limited for their availability, but housing does have those. And so if there's a situation where physical or maybe even psychological harm are happening, it's definitely worth bringing it up. And of course, if there's an imminent risk of harm, then calling the police is possibly appropriate. You know, if there's, if there's something that's going to happen physically, a student should not um, delay in getting help and calling the police might be the way to go. And then, of course, at UF Housing, we have the crisis intervention consultants who can help if it's not a physical sort of situation. It's a kind of a heightened conflict situation that's more emotional or psychological in nature. They can come and mediate that, and that can be very helpful. Um, They're on call after hours, so that's a great resource. So that's sort of the procedure and the options for the on-campus folks. Um, But I will say that in these situations, if there is a more abusive sort of uh, roommate pairing, the student who brings the concern is the one who will be moved. And that's often because even if things go to sort of a conduct process, the the student who's accused of kind of contributing to that harm may not have that, you know, sort of proven against them or may not be, um, you know, identified as the one who indeed has done something. And so the, it's not in the nature of the contract or the process to be able to remove the student who's considered the problem, in quotes. Um, it's a student who's bringing the complaint who will most likely have to move. And that is that is problematic sometimes. It can be quite stressful to add that to your plate, but um, that's the process that's able to be offered. And it can be relieving sometimes. Sometimes it's just a matter of a room trade too. That's the easier version. If, if it's available, that's sort of the lighter option for getting out of a space. 
Are there any mediation resources that you know of to help students that are living off campus? Yes, I believe Student Legal Services offers some help. Um, I'm not 100% sure if they don't do it because both parties are UF students, which is, of course, probably most likely, then um, they would at least be able to refer to other options. So that would be a place that I would go to. The Office for Off-Campus Life probably has also great lists of resources, and I'm sure that they have dealt with these things before. And then, um, you know, even, even speaking with a counselor, you know, especially if you're getting into that abusive kind of territory or you just want to do a check-in of how can I communicate about this? Can I process my feelings? It may not have to be a large investment of time to get some help, get a check-in, you know, get past that venting stage and identify some productive strategies for yourself, both in terms of self-care and relationship. So those are some other options that I'm thinking of. Sage, I don't know if maybe there's anything else coming to your mind. I honestly haven't really known much about resources for off-campus students. I know there are people who may have a more openly communicating landlord that they can talk to about options if they wanted to move out. In most situations I know of, you either can't get out of a lease or you have to buy out of a lease, which can be incredibly stressful if you're already experiencing this problem, especially if abuse is involved. Um, But I do agree with the idea of doing what you need to do right now to take care of yourself emotionally, mentally, physically, Um, whether that be if you need to stay at a friend's place sometimes because you, you know, are not feeling well being at your house or looking into counseling so that you can talk through those problems that you're experiencing. I think having people in your life that you can speak to about it, especially to make sure that you're safe can be good, but I know that's not an option for everyone. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, it really, people can feel trapped because the options often don't look attractive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's very often additional burdens when you're already feeling stressed and at the end of what you can handle by yourself. And so getting any support system you can activate it for yourself. And again, I guess I just want to err on the side of don't just use that support system for venting. Let them help you find some solutions after you have gone through those initial feelings, because that's going to be what helps alleviate the problem as opposed to just running around and around it. And if you feel that you do need to keep doing that run around, it may be that you need to find a different listener who can acknowledge those feelings, because often when the feelings keep coming up, it's because they haven't been heard fully. <clears throat> Well, it's helpful to know all of the different resources that are available, and we'll definitely be listing those in in our episode notes, along with the book on nonviolent communication. That sounds like some some really good, um, really good tools there. I believe, yeah, I I believe that we're just about out of time for today. Um, I think that we we touched on like so many like helpful tools and concerns. I I think a lot of listeners can probably relate to. Um, I was wondering if either of you have any like um, other anything else that you wanted to share with listeners or um, other things that you know someone might consider when entering into a new roommate relationship. Um, I think I would just say to continue the sentiment from the beginning of go into it with open expectations, go into it looking to respect them, get to know them as a person, what their different beliefs are, and know that they won't be the same. 
And also I think using those experiences as a learning experience, obviously abuse would be an exception to this. That's not something that you need to see as a learning experience. You don't deserve an abusive relationship, but sometimes if you have tricky conversations, even if that means you get through the year with them and you decide, I don't want to live with them again. My experience has been, I've decided I don't want to live with roommates and I chose to live by myself. If that's something you feel comfortable with, can afford, can do, that might be an option for you. And that is absolutely okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Creativity and meeting those needs. And even if you can't afford that, <clears throat> maybe there are some other ways that you can identify your needs and meet them. Mm-hmm. But I would just second everything Sage just said. And I feel like that should be the last word. I don't have anything to add to that. It was <laughs> perfect. <laughs> thank you. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you guys again so much for being here today. I really appreciate your time and energy um, in this podcast today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening. You can find CWC Talks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are found. Please leave us a rating and review us. Email us at cwc-talks at ufl.edu with your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. Show notes, resources, and more can be found at counseling.ufl.edu slash cwctalks.